Good to see all of you today, and I would remind you that in some ways the mission season started two weeks ago because I preached the Faith Promise sermon two weeks ago, if you remember that. That's because I didn't think I could preach this sermon in 15 minutes, and uh, so we switched. But uh, when I was there, I brought six of these books, uh, booklets, their devotionals on giving is worship. And uh, I said, if the six are gone, you could sign up out there. And 11 of you signed up. And so they're out there with your name on them. A little pink uh, sticky is on them with your name on them. And you want to get it for this reason. If you leave it there with your name on it, I'm going to think you don't care. <laughs> and secondly, somebody else is think, will think you skipped church. And uh, so I would suggest that you go and you pick those up. Our, uh, our sermon today is on repentance. And um, three weeks ago when I preached, I preached on the love of God and I said, to me, the love of God is the foundation on which you build a Christian life. I, I didn't say it was the most important attribute of God, but I said it's the one that's going to touch you the closest uh, because if God doesn't love you, you're in trouble. Um, and uh, so I encourage you to wake up every morning and to think about that, that God really loves you. This particular sermon, for me at least, is the one that helps me more than anything else to live the Christian life. It is a message on repentance. And what changed my mind uh, concerning that was uh, many years ago when I was struggling um, and some of you have heard my testimony. I, I had what they called a nervous breakdown after two years in the ministry. There's a good reason for that. I worked seven days a week, 16 hours a day. I was very successful in a way, <laughs> but I, I just ran out of steam. And uh, I, I decided Jesus is who he said he was, and uh, he did what he said he did for me, but this is not working for me. And I began to pray and to read the Bible. That's what I did. I didn't know what else to do. Pray and read the Bible. I prayed and read, read the Bible for a year. But one verse that stood out to me was in Matthew chapter 17. Now, this is right after Jesus has gone into the wilderness to do battle with Satan. You remember, make bread out of stones, cast yourself off the temple, bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything that exists. Right after that, it says this, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I thought two things to myself. First, I thought, you know, the people at Chestnut Mountain would like that sermon, uh, especially on a communion Sunday. Well, it's not very long, right? One sentence. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven. You people, where are you this morning? That was a little humor, and it's all right. <laughs> It's all right to have a good time in worship. Uh, but I began to think about that. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and you know the way we're usually taught about repentance is, I did something bad. I'm so sorry, God. Please forgive me. We, that's what we think about repentance. But this is his whole sermon. This sums up everything Jesus was saying as he was going about, it says, to the cities and the villages preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. And I thought to myself, it can't just be that. It's got to be more than that. 
And that's when I began to think, you know what? Repentance is more a way of life. Repentance is a posture, and that was actually the term I came up with. Repentance has got to be a posture in the Christian life. Now, um, I honestly thought I made that up because I hadn't read it anywhere. Um, I think the Holy Spirit helped me with that. But one time when I was actually teaching about repentance, I said that. I, I, uh, I thought I... I said, I made that up. I didn't read it anywhere. And somebody came up to me and said, you didn't make that up. Somebody said that long before you. I said, well, who is that? He said, he was some monk. And he lived in Germany. And he tacked 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg. Oh, I said, I know that man. He looked right at me and he said, yeah, but you never read the 95 theses, did you? I said, no, I didn't. He said, you know why I know you didn't? Because the first thesis of the 95 thesis is repentance is a way of life. You see, that's what I want you to get this morning. So we're going to consider that, and our scripture reading this morning is already, we've read part of it, and that is uh, our um, responsive reading, Psalm 51. And we'll come back and talk about that, but you already have read that this morning. I'm now going to read from 1 Samuel 13. Uh, What happens here is that Samuel is told, Saul, you're going to go down to Gilgal, muster your troops there, and fight the Philistines. And we read in verse 8, He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him, So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now... The Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom for Israel over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart." And, of course, that man is the man that wrote Psalm 51. Now, here's the strange thing. Uh, That's a pretty uh, final declaration by Samuel. You're done. God has taken the kingdom away from you, right? I mean, there's there's no give and take there. There's there's no room uh, for wiggling around there. But it's like God gives... Saul, a second chance. And, and, you know, God can do what he wants. And uh, so we read in chapter 15 a situation where um, Saul, Samuel tells Saul, you're to go down and you're to destroy the Amalekites. And we read in verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and he was told, Samuel, Saul came 
to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and he turned and passed and went on down to Gilgal. And then over in verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you for being king over Israel. That's the word of the Lord. Let us respond together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, we're going to look at these two men because I think they teach us something about repentance. Their lives are very much in, uh, entwined in the Bible, Saul and David. And when you think about their sins, now, we just read about uh, Saul. What was his sin? Well, Samuel said, don't go into battle with the Philistines until I come back and I offer the burnt offering. I'll be back in seven days. Seven days come and go and Samuel's not here. And so Saul offers the burnt offering. He gives him a second chance. He says, Go down and wipe out the Amalekites. Now, you need to understand about the Amalekites. God did not like the Amalekites for this reason. When the people of Israel were leaving Egypt, they would come and they would pick off some of the Israelites that were kind of stragglers on the edge, you see, as they were marching through the desert. And then they would say, See, your God is no God. He can't protect you. So God was not happy with the Amalekites. And he tells Saul through Samuel, You go down and wipe them out. And he does. He wipes out everything except a few sheep and the king. That's all. That's his sin. Now, what about David? Well, Psalm 51, which we read this morning in our response to reading, that's his response to God after he sinned with Bathsheba. He takes advantage of this woman because he's king. Then he has her husband killed to cover up his sin. And if you read the text, you'll see that a number of other soldiers are killed as well. It's not just Uriah, uh, but there are many widows in Israel that day because of David's sin. Now, if you're going to weigh that sin, right? David and Saul, isn't it going to look like this in your mind? Doesn't it look like that to you? So what's the difference? Why in the world in both 13, 1 Samuel 13, God can say, I'm taking the kingdom away from you, Saul, and I'm giving it to a man named David because he's a man after my own heart. It's because of repentance. It's not because of the sin that they, create, that they did. Uh, we're all sinners. Is our sin... Uh, is your sin greater than my sin? My sin greater? It doesn't really matter. Sin is sin. We are separated from God, you see. And so, repentance is the key. Where's your heart? That's the thing we learn. One man repents, the other man does not repent. We look at David's uh, repentance in uh, Psalm 51, and uh, we read in verse 3, For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. He doesn't try to push back. He doesn't try to make any excuses. At that point, 
When he's confronted by the prophet, he says, I have sinned. If you read in 2 Samuel 12, uh, chapter 12, that's exactly his response. And that's his only response. I've sinned, period. End of discussion. But what about Saul? Well, you've just read about him, right? Yes, I did, I did. I performed the burnt offering, but I didn't have any choice. In fact, I forced myself. Those are his very words. I forced myself to do it because you didn't come. You promised and you didn't come. And God gives him a second chance, and we just read that in chapter 15. And there he says, I have sinned. And oh, if he just put a period on it like David, but he didn't. I feared the people. I listened to the, to the men. I followed them. I let them influence me. See, here's the thing you need to know about repentance. Repentance is a big deal. Repentance is not when you change. You know, some people tell me or ask me sometimes, do you think that person repented? I said, ask me in five years and I'll tell you. And I mean that. Repentance is a door. It's the door you go through where God will begin to change your life. But if you don't go through that door, nothing's going to happen. We conf- we, I think we confuse repentance with confession. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance is more knowing at this moment In my life, I need the blood of Jesus Christ to cover my life as much today as I ever did. As much as when I came to faith the first time and in the first place. And I want to say this to you. You may be the most sanctified person on the planet. If you are, you still need to repent. Because, well, I'm going to go way up here. If you're way up here, I would have to go down here for me. But for you, I'm going up here. If you're right up here, you're there because God's got you there, but he's not through with you. He's not satisfied, and you shouldn't be either. And God wants to move you from here to here, you see? And that's what repentance does. That's the door. That's the door to change. So secondly, I came up with this idea, which I call the formula for repentance. Now, the reason is because if you know the Greek word and you know the Hebrew word for repentance, you know that it means to turn and to go in another direction. And that's great. Except, what's that mean? Uh, And I heard that so many times, I thought, you know, I've got to get something. I've got to translate that. I've, I've, I've got to put some meat on those bones. What does that look like? Here's my formula. Number one, you've got to be able to acknowledge that there is a problem. Now, you might think, well, that's pretty easy, but I'm telling you, that's really difficult. You know, Jesus, you remember when he said, don't worry too much about the speck in another person's eye. You ought to be worried about your own two-by-four that's in your eye. Why did Jesus say that? Well, because we can see specks in other people's eyes much easier than we see two-by-fours in our own eyes. It's very difficult for us to see our own sin. We can rationalize, you know, just like Saul. It's not my fault. Samuel, it's your fault. It's not my fault. God gave me these bad people. I mean, he blames everybody, you see. And we're all good at that. 
In fact, we're all professionals at it. We can say, if I had better parents, I wouldn't be like this. If I didn't have red hair, I wouldn't be like that. Uh, it, It doesn't matter. We can come up with any kind of excuse. We've got to be able to see the problem. And so we've got to ask God to give us eyes to see, where am I? Where do I need the blood of Jesus Christ covering my life today? Secondly, we need to acknowledge that we are the problem. You know, Saul never takes responsibility himself. As I've already said, David certainly took responsibility. And notice what he says uh, in verse 4 of Psalm 51. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Have you ever read that and thought, what do you mean, David? You sinned on all kinds of people. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? About what all those other soldiers and so on? What about the man that trusted you? Well, you see, when you're dealing with sin in your life in, the, in relationship to repentance, it's between you and God. It's not between you and somebody else. David understood that. We need to understood that, understand that as well. And then, thirdly, we need to acknowledge that we need Christ. We need the blood of Christ to cover our lives and to help us. David understands that. Uh, when he says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be white as snow. And in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. In other words, he's not trying to fix himself. He knows that as he repents, God is going to have to fix him. God is going to have to work. And he comes asking God to help him. Now, I was going to give an illustration here. Uh, when Sandy and I uh, first got married, um, I had been married to a woman very much different than Sandy. And I thought Sandy ought to be like the first wife. I had developed certain habits, and I was good at those habits. And so I was trying to change her. And uh, one day I did something really foolish. And uh, that, by the way, is the sanitized version of that. And... Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, I just realized that lady didn't marry me so I could change her. She married me so I could love her. I had to take responsibility uh, for myself in that marriage. But I'm going to give you a different illustration. It happened this morning. Uh, We have a pot in our house, or we had a pot in our house, um, that uh, is important to me for uh, 51 years of memories, and it got broken this morning. And um, I thought, I mean, I'm sad, to be honest. But anger, that's a different thing. And I think I was able to deal with that in terms, of course, I was getting ready to preach this sermon, you know. (laughs) And I thought, I better get it straight or else. (laughs) But I thought, um, anger is not going to fit here. That's not right. It's all right to be sad. But Paul, you need to repent right now before you get angry. There is a problem. I am the problem, and I need God's help. With all of this, I developed a thing I call the 90-10 rule, and I'll tell you why. Because most of the problems you have with life are with another person. And when you have a problem with another person, you think, if that person would just be different or go away, uh, I would be a lot better, life would be a lot better. 
My problem is that person. And, and, you know, sometimes it can sort of be like that. I mean, suppose you got a really difficult boss. And you think to yourself, if I didn't have to work for that person, think how much better my life would be, right? But, but you see, that's got nothing to do with repentance. Because even if that person is 90% of the problem, you're at least 10%, okay? But now you come to repentance. And in repentance, your 10% becomes 100%. You can't change another person. You can't change your boss. You know, you, you can't change that, that person. God may change that person, but you can't change that person. But the only person can, you can change is you as you repent. As you come before God and say, God, I see I am the problem. And I need your help. Now here's, here's the positive part of this sermon, really. God's in the business of fixing people like you and me. That's what repentance is all about. Sandy and I use for our devotions a thing called the Valley of Vision. It's Puritan prayers. We read one last week. It went like this. Lord, never let holiness be only a dress. Let it be a way of life for me. Lord, help me to pay attention not only to my conduct, but also my principles, not only my actions, but Lord, even my motives. See, that's, that's a person who understands that repentance is not just an act. It is a way of life. It is a posture. A repentant heart always examines itself in light of the gospel. I'm saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been adopted because he's actually moved aside and said, you can have my place in the family. And now I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit living in me, convicting me, and empowering me. That's the secret to repentance. Fernando Ortega, Ortega, I think, has it right in a song. You know this song. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Repentance is a way of life. It's a way we live. And, and just so you realize that I didn't make this up, nor did Luther make this up, Spurgeon said repentance is continual. Believers repent until their dying day. And if you don't like Spurgeon, how about Packer, J.I. Packer? Just as life in Christ is constant faith and constant joy, it's also a life of constant repentance. There was a great saint who wrote some time ago, I'm guilty, but I'm pardoned. I'm lost, but saved. Wandering, but found. Sinning, but cleansed. So give me perpetual broken-hearted repentance. Give me perpetual broken-hearted repentance. Repentance, repentance is a broken heart. Broken because of how it has broken the heart of its Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is a broken heart, broken because of how it has broken the heart of its Savior. If you'll take this seriously, 
I think it can have an impact in your life. I can tell you it has changed my life. And the illustration I gave this morning, it, it impacted even this morning with a broken pot. Um, I'll even get over the sadness. But if I'd have gotten angry, that would have taken a lot longer. You know that. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you'll daily remind us of how much we need the blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, to cover our lives. We pray, Father, that you'll flood our lives with your divine grace, gift us with inward working of your Holy Spirit, a life of true repentance. Please, don't give up on us. Keep us moving. Keep us moving towards Christ our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. What's that?